Welcome to episode six of the Beyond Podcast, where we have conversations with people who we find inspiring, who might inspire you too. Our special guest for today's episode is Brian Yao. Brian is currently a master's student and machine learning researcher at UC Berkeley, where he studies electrical engineering and computer science. He recently graduated from UC Berkeley, uh, where he earned a bachelor's with the highest distinction and majored in computer science, applied mathematics, and statistics. During college, he played an active role in the Student Association for Applied Statistics, where he served various roles such as data science consultant and a senior advisor. Throughout college, Brian also interned as an algorithm developer intern at Hudson River Trading, a software development engineer intern at Amazon, and an applied statistics research intern at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Welcome, Brian. How's it going? Hi, it's going pretty well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I met Brian in New York. Uh, Brian is really, really awesome. Um, so like one of my friends is, is a partner of Brian and yeah, he's super cool. And I've talked to him about like a lot of different things like his research and he's given me a lot of great advice for like recruitment, especially during uh, this cycle when I was recruiting full-time. Um, so let's just jump right into it. I guess let's talk about like your experiences in Berkeley. Um, you majored in like these three really challenging areas. How are you able to, you know, um, like balance all that like workload all at the same time? And how are you able to, you know, explore all these different interesting areas in these different fields at the same time? Yeah, totally. Uh, I guess for me, first off, it helped a lot that the three things I was majoring in had a lot of overlap. Uh, so mm -hmm. because of that, in terms of like workload, it wasn't that much more than just doing like two majors. And I really enjoyed seeing how like all three of those fields connected really nicely. Uh, so it wasn't like crazy or anything. I think and if anything, like doing all three of them helped me like better understand like each of them separately, uh, which is helpful. But I guess like in terms of actually handling that workload and like specific things I did, I would say that there's like, like generally two major things. Uh, first, and they're both kind of cliche, I guess, but we can walk through them. Or I guess like, the first thing I guess would be like really trying hard to avoid burnout as hard as I could. Um, cause I guess like, it's really hard at Berkeley to overwork yourself, especially when you see like other people like working really hard, like all the time. Uh, so a pretty big thing for me was always like setting a time for myself just to like solidly relax and just like not do anything. I pretty much like designate like, like a 24 hours period every week where I just wouldn't do any work and just like, I don't know, hang out with friends, like watch sport games, whatever. Um, I think that was really helpful. Uh, cause the other thing, the other like overarching pillar that I would consider is like having really efficient time management. Uh, and in particular, I guess like the main creed that I followed was uh, sort of just being maximally efficient and like really committing to whatever you're doing. Uh, so by that specifically, I mean that like during the times where I was like relaxing, not doing anything, I think it was important to like super commit to that and really focus and just like not doing anything and not focus and not like thinking about work at all to like fully like relax. But then on the flip side, when you are doing work, I think it's like really important to be super efficient with your time and to like not waste anything like goofing around while you're working and to commit to whatever mm -hmm. you're doing at that time. Um, so I think that's like probably the main thing for me is being like very careful with how I manage my time and like whatever I was doing, whether it be like not working or working to like really commit to whatever I was like doing at the time. Yeah, I think you mentioned two really great um, things there. Like you mentioned like avoiding burnout, which I think is really, really important for like Berkeley students or any like college student who is, you know, handling all this like academic and like club stuff and like a lot of stuff. Right? Like, people are well, always yeah. Yeah. 
so much. And then also you mentioned about like focus, right? So I was, I was hoping to ask you more about like the burnout side of things, because yeah. I've known personally, like, especially during like fall semester when I'm recruiting and I'm taking these yeah. top courses, like let's say this year, I, I, I honestly struggle. Like I was seeing 162, like our operating systems class. <laughs> and I was taking our database class, like 186. And we have like six projects for like 186. And we have like, I think like four projects in 162, but they're really hard and you have to work in a group. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to communicate with like people across the world. And it's like really hard to admit, like how, what were some like key findings you found that were helpful for avoiding burnout? Um, in addition to like making sure you focus on like focus a hundred percent on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, yeah, making sure to take time off is like really important. And then mm -hmm. besides that, the other thing that I would generally say is like another overarching pillar is to kind of know your limitations. Um, mm. Of course, like you should try doing as much as you can, I would say. Right. But like at the same time, I don't think there's any problem with like kind of recognizing that you might have like bit off more than you can chew and then taking measures to sort of like ameliorate that. I don't know. Like I think like uh, Letters and Science at Berkeley offers like a late drop, right? Uh, to mm. like, drop a class like as late in the semester as you want. I think that's like, a very like viable option. Uh, and or like taking a class pass by pass, like those kinds of measures, I think are very useful and are very like reasonable actions to come to if you can like recognize that maybe like your current workload is a little bit too much. Because it's funny that you mentioned like fall semester specifically, because uh, I think like my senior year fall, uh, I was like, really struggling a lot with the same combination you mentioned of just like very challenging coursework, recruiting, all those other things going on. And I think it was very helpful for me to like. I took, I like late dropped a class, like passed and passed another class. And I think that was all like very helpful for me in terms of like avoiding that burnout. Because I think like being at Berkeley and maybe just the people that tend to be at Berkeley, you sort of want to do as much as you can, right? right. Um, but I think that does tend to lead to burnout. And I think like recognizing that you don't have to do like everything is pretty important into like mm -hmm. avoiding, like getting overwhelmed by everything you have going on. Mm. And I think like knowing your limits is also hard to swallow as well. Like, yeah, it, yeah. I think it goes I hand had, like, in hand. Right yeah, for sure. Yeah, like letting things go, right, is really hard. I, I know like a lot of students at Berkeley that I've spoke to, a lot of them who are my friends, you know, did a lot of things in high school. And then they thought like, oh, I can just do the same thing in college. But then they have this realization that, you know, college courses are like 10 times harder, right? Yeah. So yeah. did you have like any like, um, problems letting go things in college to make room for like um your studies or like your research or your other um extracurriculars yeah i think yeah i i would, I would probably say that happened like several times for me i guess if i had to like narrow down some specific like cases and I, I guess like my sophomore year i was like trying really hard to like keep working part-time so i had like an internship after my freshman year and then throughout like my sophomore year, I continued that internship and like was working mm -hmm. part-time throughout that entire year. And honestly, like it just wasn't that worth it. And it was like very overwhelming. And I realized it was like more important for me to just focus on like school, which was like the main priority at the time. Um, and as a result of that, I kind of sort of like dropped off on that like by the end of the year. Yeah, I think there's like there's many other instances of that, of right. that as well. Yeah. I think it's interesting you mentioned about like working part-time, like and like continuing an internship like yeah. while you're studying. I, I had a similar experience my freshman year when I was working at this startup and during the summer. And then I was talking to him, I was like, oh, I can I can balance like school and work at the same yeah. time. So yeah. I was like, okay, I can make a little bit of money as well. But then right. I realized soon after, like 
I was kind of like spending less time like on certain things I wanted to explore. Like I want to hang out with my friends more, do more things like outside of school. And then I realized that was a bigger priority than maybe, you know, getting all this technical experience really quickly. So yeah, I think that was really a key lesson I learned. And it seems like you learned that too through a few few experiences. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I super felt like I'm like I was like losing out on like social experiences because like I felt like that was the first thing to go once I was like both working and like uh, doing schoolwork. And I felt like that super contributes like burning out faster. So I think it was like, I don't know, hanging out with friends is always a good, really nice way to chill and like not get too overwhelmed by work, I think. But yeah, I think it's like nice to like recognize that that's yeah. like, not worth losing for the sake of more technical experience. 100%. And like, how do you identify when, <laughs> like when you're like on the verge of burning out, <laughs> if possible, are there like things that you notice that like, that are like key indicators of that for you personally? Uh, yeah, I guess like I try to like self introspect a little bit on those things. Uh, in particular, I guess like as indicators, I use like how much sleep am I getting? <laughs> so I feel like that's like a pretty like yeah. good indicator of like how hard am I working? And if I really feel like I'm just like super tired all the time from like, I don't know, not sleeping or just working too constantly all the time, then I can sort of recognize that. But yeah, I don't think there's any like super like concrete indicators. I feel like it's just more of this like, like, do I feel overwhelmed? If yes, then I'm probably about to burn out. Gotcha, gotcha. And let's talk a little bit more about like what you did at Berkeley um, that you really enjoyed. Like I had, I think you mentioned to me that you did a lot of like research work, which was super cool. Like how did you get involved in research as an undergrad? Um, and like, how do you fall, like fall in love with that area of research or get interested in that mm -hmm. uh, area of research? Yeah, sure. So my first uh, research experience, I sort of just fell into. Uh, I think you mentioned that I was like, yeah, I had previously worked as like an applied statistics research intern at uh, Lawrence Liberal National Lab. So that was like sort of my first like research experience. And yeah, honestly, I don't know. I just like super fell into that. Where I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I don't really know what it is, but I'll like apply to this lab and like see what happens. Uh, and that was like a really like cool experience for me where I think at that point, uh, I'd mostly just come into Berkeley as just like a math major. And I didn't really know like anything about like the applications of math and like statistics or computer science. Uh, and I think like that was a really eye-opening ex experience for me uh, where I was doing like some machine learning research. And that was the first time where I really saw like, okay, this is what I can use like all the theory and the tools that I've learned throughout my coursework and actually put them towards something real. Um, so that was really fun for me. Uh, and in particular, I was like doing some research. Uh, I'd probably made it all time to get into the specifics, but it was like a physics project basically where we were working with like uh, simulations of vehicles traveling at hypersonic speeds, so like five times the speed of sound or higher. And basically like the issue with that field of research is that it's really hard to get data on hypersonic flight uh, because no one has like five hypersonic vehicles in their garage, right? Like not, like not really like a feasible thing to like test uh, in real life. So typically people run simulations instead. Um, and those simulations are very computationally intensive. They're solving like, I don't know, a bunch of PDEs and stuff um, to basically simulate this real like physical environment. And my machine learning research was basically like sort of simulating the simulation, I guess, uh, using like machine learning, uh, where instead of running this complex simulation, uh, we can just like learn what happens during the simulation and then use that to speed up like the results from getting the simulation in the first place. Um, so I thought that was really cool how it was sort of like a pure science project in some sense, where it was very grounded in physics, uh, which I was like, had no background in, honestly. 
And it was interesting for me to see like how those things get applied. And I thought that was really interesting to see how like these tools in machine learning and statistics uh, can get applied towards like more traditional scientific fields. Uh, now these days I work in like computational biology research, uh, which I also thought was interesting for the same reason. Uh, I sought it out specifically because I wanted to work in like a research field that was still like sort of based in science, like biology or physics or whatever. Uh, but there were there were applications and opportunities to apply machine learning. Mm. You mentioned that you you thought it was really cool, like applying concepts you've learned in class in like in research. Like what were some of those concepts like from like your CS courses or like statistics that you used um, just out of like curiosity? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm really big on like linear algebra and probability. Those are probably like some of my favorite courses in uh, Berkeley. Uh, so really like just a lot of that, honestly, like linear algebra specifically, I was working on like some Gaussian process regression type work where there's like a lot of like linear algebra involved. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of like different tricks that you can employ uh, to more efficiently perform computations uh, for like mm -hmm. inference. I don't know, like, for example, like inverting matrices more quickly or like, gotcha. Yeah. Or performing some like matrix decomposition in order to like, that's like some order magnitude faster in terms of like the big O runtime. And that was like, oh, it's mm. really cool. And there's also a lot of like applications that's of probability. Cool. Yeah. Mm. See, I, I learned all the math and the theory and stuff, but I had no idea about like the computational and inferential like applications of these fields until I like, participated in research uh, a little more. Gotcha. And, and then like for ramping up on like the physics side of things, like how, how, how are you able to, you know, get that like domain knowledge or ramp up on that? Was it through like reading like research papers that your advisors give, gave you? Like, how are you able to like synthesize that information and then apply what you learned in class? Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was like one of the most challenging things, right? Cause I, yeah. had, I had the math background, but I had like no right. uh, Fortunately, like we were collaborating with like a team of like engineers who kind of mm. like, who, who were like specialized in physics and maybe kind of use some of the statistics in the machine learning. Uh, so obviously I've read a lot of papers to like get some background in it, um, but a lot of the time spent working on that project was communicating with like the engineers who knew the actual science behind the project and who furthermore knew like what parts of the science was necessary for me to know uh, and which parts like I didn't really have to understand for the sake of the research. Um, so I think it's like, very important to have that sort of like interpersonal communication uh, to understand like what aspects of the other discipline are necessary for me to bring in to my side of the project. Hmm. So it seems like you probably had to take like a lot of initiative, right? Like to reach out to all these like engineers. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's that must require like a lot, you know, yeah, a lot of communication skills, right? Just like reaching out to all these different peoples and getting all that, all those pieces of information you need to like succeed in your research. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the most like important skills as far as like undergraduate research goes, just like, First of all, knowing what you don't know, I guess in some sense, or like knowing like where the holes mm -hmm. are and then having the initiative to know, to like ask people who do know like, of what lies inside of those holes, I guess. Uh, and I think it's like, gotcha. especially as an undergraduate, there's gonna be a lot of holes and it's really important to know when you are like missing some information that you can check from somebody else. Mm. And, and for you, when you are like conducting your research or like write, like writing up models or like whatever like research you're doing, when do you when do you know like when to ask for help? Because for me, it seems like a like kind of like a balancing act mm -hmm. like of like gauging when to ask for help from like a senior software engineer in my case. Like yeah. when when would you usually ask for help? 
Yeah, totally. Um, so the first thing is that a lot of the times, like, I think it's important to just give like semi-regular updates on your work to people. Uh, because like, as you're sort of implying, I think with this question, it's kind of hard to know exactly when you know you need help. Uh, so I think it's good to tell people that are more senior you, senior than you, like roughly like what you're doing so that they can sort of check like what you're doing and they can sort of tell you that like you need help with this, right? Um, so that's sort of like the first thing where even before you know to ask people for help, I think it's important to put people in the position where they know that you are in need of help, even if you yeah. don't necessarily know it, right? So I think like right. that happens a lot. Uh, and I think like in terms of your own indicators about whether or not you need help, I feel like there's certain situations where you can sort of feel it. Uh, like for example, like if you're doing research work or uh, you might be reading a paper and then you might not understand like some big section of the paper, then like that's clearly an indicator that you'll need, you'll need help from somebody. Or conversely as like an engineer, right? I feel like if there's some major part of the code base that you don't understand like why this exists or what this is doing, and this is like relevant to your work and interacts with work that you're doing. Uh, I think it's important that like you gain an understanding of what those missing pieces are for that maybe some senior engineer would understand better than you. Mm, I see. Yeah, I like I liked how you frame it, uh, frame that for like uh, for asking for help. I think that, that that would be super helpful for like a lot of different applications, whether you're like a software engineer or a researcher and it applies to a lot of different disciplines. Expanding more on the research side of things, like what motivated you to pursue a master's degree right outside of college? I know you did a lot of research in undergrad and yeah. you found that really exciting and rewarding. What made you um, motivated to take like a step further and do this one year's master's program at Berkeley? Right, yeah, yeah. So the first thing was um, basically that like, I had studied like three different fields in my undergrad and I enjoyed all three of them. So I don't have like any regrets about doing that. Uh, but because I was like sort of spread out between like all three things, I didn't get like, I think sufficiently deep into any one subject. Uh, so a lot of that was like wanting to become a little bit more like, I don't know, closer to an expert, like definitely not an expert yet on like one specific field, as opposed to just getting like breath as opposed to depth. Um, that was probably like a pretty big motivator for me um, where I wanted to really focus in on like one subject. Uh, and secondly was that, yeah, I really enjoyed like my research experiences as an undergrad. And I really just wanted like another year of that, especially because mm. I'm still, I wasn't and I'm still not sure about whether or not I want to do like more graduate like uh, school. It's like, I don't know, join on the PhD route or anything. And I think like mm. doing the extra year of research uh, is like, could be helpful for informing that decision down the line. Mm. And for you, like what type of student do you think would fit well into like a one year's master program? Like who like would, have the best time of their lives in this program? Like what, what type of student are they targeting for uh, this program? Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good program in that I think it targets like a variety of audiences. Uh, so I don't think there's one like super specific answer for this. I think there is both a place for people who just want to go into industry and are picking and want to pick up more skills as well as for people who are not sure if they want to pursue like additional graduate school. But the one year master's program is like sort of like not too big of a commitment or it's easier enough to pursue that. So I think both of those are pretty viable like candidates to pursue this program. Like both people who like feel they want more expertise in machine learning or computer architecture or these very like complex fields that you might need more education in before they go into like a very technical industry. Or alternatively, it would also be a good fit for somebody who 
is not sure about whether or not they want to go like further graduate school or not. And they feel like the one year master's program would be like a good, like somewhat lower commitment, uh, like graduate opportunity. Gotcha, gotcha. And with your current work in your master's, um, you mentioned that you're currently doing computational biology, right? Yeah. 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 Could you uh, like expand a little bit more of like what uh, you're currently working on in your one year's master's program? It seems like a short time, like one year to, you know, yeah. do research. So like, yeah, yeah. what are, how, how has that experience been for you? The nice thing about like the fifth year master's at Berkeley is that you sort of get to continue like research you were already doing as an undergrad. Uh, so I'm still working with the same mm. advisor as I was working with my senior year. Uh, so even though it's only a one year, like, time to do research, which seems like a pretty short time frame. Uh, because I was working in it previously, it's actually like not too cramped, I think. Uh, but in any case, like the research that I'm working on specifically is, I guess, in the realm of DNA sequencing, where uh, I guess if we want to get into like the technical aspects of it, uh, in yeah, particular, there's like yeah. a somewhat new like technology called nanopore sequencing, uh, mm. where basically you have like a pore that's like nanometer thick, hence nano, nanopore, um, and you feed a DNA strand uh, through this pore. And through this pore, perpendicular to the direction of the strand, you're running like a current of constant strength. Okay. And basically, and I'm sure you know like your bases of DNA, like ACTP, right? Um, and based on what bases are currently in the pore, uh, that changes the strength of the current in some characteristic fashion. So if we have like AA in the pore at some time, that'll change the current differently from if we have like TT uh, in the pore. And mm. based on the current changes that we observe while feeding the strand of DNA through the pore, uh, we can recall out what bases uh, we, fed through this, we fed through this pore. Um, so that's like the technology. Uh, and gotcha. basically what we're working on is that you now might imagine like in addition to ACTG as your alphabet of bases, you might also have like a C prime where C prime is like slightly different from C, uh, which is like some chemical modification basically. And C prime is pretty hard to tell from C because they're like pretty similar, right? Uh, and the, the difference between C and C prime is probably smaller than the difference between A and C, for example. Uh, and so the difference in the current uh, that we run through the nanopore is like somewhat more subtle. And basically we're just working on like fine tuning the inference essentially. Uh, to better detect C prime, more or less. And and how do you even start attacking that sort of problem? Like that's so yeah. complex already. Yeah, yeah. Like luckily, how do you like, guys get started with that? Yeah, luckily a lot of the groundwork is already there because this technology okay. is like, pretty well established for the case where you just have like four bases, right? There's, okay, gotcha. there's, a liter there's a lot of literature dating back to like, I don't know, 2015, 2014. Uh, people developing like various machine learning models using like hidden Markov models or recurrent neural right. networks to call these bases. And now it's all a matter of like building on top of that pre-existing work uh, to better detect like these slight modifications. Um, so I think that's just kind of just how like, research works in general, right? Like you're never working like fully independently. And there's always right. like, well, usually some like existing body of literature that you can work off of. Gotcha, gotcha. And I remember when I was doing um, research at Berkeley, I think like a huge, um, huge part of like research was like writing papers. And I, I was curious to, curious about like your experience, like writing papers in like a collaborative environment such as Berkeley. Like what are the best ways to, you know, I guess manage your time and 
make make sure that you can like submit a paper on time for like a conference and stuff like that especially like it requires a lot of like collaboration and like synthesis of like the research you've currently done it's hard to like piece it together sometimes yeah yeah i think the most important thing is probably to like divide responsibilities among all the collaborators uh, so i think that's like again i think it comes down to knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know uh mm. where i think it's important to like recognize like these are sections that other people would be more suited to write and these are sections that i would be more suited to write and i think if you i think that's like half the work is like delegating like responsibilities to make sure that people understand like the methods and the results that are used for some for some specific section of the paper um of course i think like this is kind of catch-all like advice i think there's a lot more like specifics that go in like depending on the paper depending on the work that you're doing gotcha gotcha and for for yourself i i guess what has worked for you the best for um you know managing your own responsibilities in your research and identifying what to focus on because i'm sure like research is like kind of nebulous in the sense that you could attack a problem different angles there's a lot of different problems that you could prioritize like how do you you know make that decision on what to work on like on a daily basis mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good question um again i think as like an undergraduate this sort of harkens back to the idea that like or as an undergraduate even as me like one person out of undergraduate i think it's important to know that like it's helpful to be guided by other people and mm -hmm. to that end like the most important thing for me is like generally seeking out uh i guess confirmation or approval of some specific direction that i'm going uh with my research uh so i, I guess like my general workflow is that i'll form some initial direction uh just sort of based on like what i think is working and there's like some intuition from that um, and then also reading the literature to see like what other people might be trying and then sort of like consolidating that into one like initial direction uh, with which like i'll run by the people who i think have a better idea of like what things might work that being like advisors and people mm, gotcha that's super super interesting and let's move on to like a totally different topic but sure. i was really curious about like your experiences um I guess on like the internship side of things, you have had like a lot of diverse experiences, but specifically I was really interested in um, your experience, like being like an algo developer intern. I remember I messaged you about this um, in the fall because I was curious about like the fi financial industry and you gave me a lot of great advice. And I guess for those who don't know what like an algo developer is, could you start with that and explain like what you did as an algo developer at a high level, I guess? Or, yeah, so it's a quantitative research position uh, where basically we're looking at data sets and potential signals in markets that could inform us on like what trades could be profitable uh, for the company. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. It's very and, like vague description, I guess. Yeah. yeah, that's totally fair. And like when I read that description, I assume like, is it like CS170, like where it's like um, mm -hmm. a little bit of step above like discrete probability, like in CS70, where you like, actually prove algorithms and like maybe write your own algorithms is it like similar to that or is it a closer, little different it's a little bit closer to like the data science side i would say at least in oh interesting i was doing yeah um so okay. when i say like researching signals i really mean that we're looking at like data sets and generally i don't know analyzing correlations between certain phenomena that we observe in the data sets uh compared to shifts in like prices uh for like in the stock market right uh so it's not really like 
and at least in terms of the work that I was doing, uh, I know that it tends to vary a lot uh, across the industry. Uh, not really as much of like the algorithmic complexity that you might see in like CS one seventy or CS sixty one B or anything. Oh, okay, interesting. And what do you think is helpful to get um, the background necessary to like succeed in that sort of role uh, as a college student? Like, what courses should you take, or like what things should you do to you know prepare for that? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a pretty like wide variety, especially because again, like I think there's a lot, there's a pretty wide array of responsibilities and possible projects depending on. Mm. what your position is like what company you're working at like some people might be doing more like machine learning intensive work other people might be working on like portfolio optimization and the sorts of like coursework that you want to take before going into those and those are just like two like very initial examples that come off the top of my head uh the skills that you need for these different kinds of roles will vary quite significantly i would say uh but i guess speaking to my own personal experience i would say that first of all like just being good at coding is very important uh I think it's not quite like the difference between like this sort of work and being like a software engineer is that whereas as a software engineer, your code tends to be the end product. Uh, right. Whereas in the work that we're doing, it's more of a means to an end uh, where it's more about like developing like useful analysis tools uh, for determining like for, for performing our data analysis, right? Um, but I think it's still very important to like have effective coding skills because I think that's just very useful almost no matter what kind of work you're doing. Uh, I think besides that, just like a lot of data science-like courses were useful for me. I never took data 100 or anything, but that class definitely would have been useful if I had taken it. Uh, other courses in the data science department, like, I don't know, data 8, data 102, uh, similar classes like stat 133 are certainly like very useful. Uh, and then of course, like more theoretical courses like uh, CS 189, like the big machine learning, machine learning course right. is like definitely very useful. Uh, so that's like, the second, so I would say just like general coding skills from taking classes like 61B and 170 are useful, uh, data science and machine learning skills. I think there's a lot to be said for like more applied computer science courses. Like I think uh, taking operating systems, uh, CS1, CS2 is very useful for me. Right. Uh, it's a very hard class, obviously, but I think very it's super hard. useful. Um, where I think yeah, it actually like, helps you understand like, computer architecture and in particular how to make code run faster, for example. Mm. Um, I think that's a very like useful skill that you can apply in a wide in a wide array of different circumstances, uh, and of course also just like pure math classes are very useful, especially when interviewing for these sorts of roles. Uh, in particular, like probability classes like E126, which is I think like stochastic processes, uh, STAT 134, STAT 140, STAT 150, all like very useful classes. So I think yeah, that, that's like a whole like it's, it's a wow. big one. There's a lot of things that you can study. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it seems like there are a lot of different courses that you can take to develop these like great fundamentals. And you mentioned that being good at code at coding is the most important part for like, you know, algo developers or like software engineers in general. And, and I guess like outside of that, are there any other fundamental skills that you think are important to succeed in like an algo developer role or software engineer role? Like what tips would you give to like students um, for like building up a, a great skill set to succeed in these uh, two different um, fields. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think the answer is pretty different for, for those two fields. So I guess like for software engineering, yes, yeah, so the number one thing, yeah, I would say just like being very good at coding. Uh, but I think a lot of like the challenges in software engineering, at least from my experience, it's been a while since I've like interned as a software engineer anyways, I guess. But in my experience, like, I think a lot of the difficulty from software engineering came from managing like 
very vast complexity. Uh, and in particular, like when I was at Amazon, um, there's a lot of code in Amazon, right? It's a huge company, like lots right. of code behind the website, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it takes a lot of, I guess, like organizational skill uh, and a lot of attention to detail to understand like how your implementations will impact uh, like pre-existing parts of the code base. So I think that's like very important. I think like a lot of the complexity with software engineering comes to understanding like this pre-existing architecture and paying very close attention uh, to how what how your work might impact that like pre-existing work. Uh, so I think like right. that's pretty important. So I think just like general like attention to detail and having like a keen eye for the sorts of like architectural and organizational things uh, is quite mm. important. Um, Gotcha. Yeah. And, and, and for 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 that um, for that point, right? Does that tie in with? I guess like, do you have to refactor a lot of the old code bases that you're trying to fit in your code? Yeah. Um, or are you talking more about like when you're designing your own like architecture, making sure that it aligns with what like maybe other developers have like designed? Yeah, I think both of those. Yeah. Like okay. Refactoring is a huge thing. Yeah. I spent a lot of time at Amazon. Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, so my project was sort of like, it was very much integrated into the pre-existing code there. Uh, so a lot of refactoring had to be done to include the stuff that I was working on. Right. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience like at GitHub. We, we, I had, like my, my code was open source. So I can talk about this freely, but like for our code base runner, we, we had to refactor like the whole thing, which was crazy. Like trying to get That's caught up on like the whole code base. And it was in C-sharp. I've never worked with C-sharp before. Oh, so dude, just like, I had to dude. talk to like two senior developers or engineers who are super helpful, but like ramping up on that knowledge and understanding why they made certain design decisions was super challenging and difficult, but it was definitely really rewarding. And if I took 162, uh, like our operating systems class, I would have done, it would have been a lot easier to understand. Yeah, 162 so, is quite the helpful class. It's just as far as like helping you learn how to manage like crazy complexity, right? Because yeah. things don't get much more complicated than operating systems, honestly, right? So if, you're under, if you can 100%. correctly like manage that sort of project, that goes a long way, I think, towards like helping you understand like large scale engineering projects in the ministry. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. And I guess yeah. as for uh, work in the algo developer role, I think for me, again, I think there's like so many different approaches to like being a success, being successful in these sorts of roles. Uh, but I think for me, it was like important to have good intuition uh, for what for what direction to go with data sets and like what methods of analyzing data might be useful. So I think that's a little bit more of a nebulous answer. I think it just sort of comes down to like have good intuition. Uh, but I think that's like pretty important as far as like not just the algorithm developer role, but also like data scientist roles at large. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. And I think overall, like um, for like all these different positions that you did and then also like your research work, I guess like in a general scheme of things, I guess, Taking a step back, what made you like the happiest while you were, you know, at Berkeley? Oh, that's a very tough question. I was really happy at Berkeley. So <laughs> lots of things to pick out from, I guess. Uh, I would probably say like the people. I think like most mm-hmm. of the things that like I think about uh, when I think about like my favorite memories of Berkeley really come down to like the people that I was around. Uh, I think there's like several manifestations of that, I guess. Like just generally like socializing and stuff, uh, like, be it at parties or at like study sessions throughout the night, right? I think that was always like a lot of fun. Just, I really enjoyed like all the camaraderie between people who were like stroking through the same classes, uh, working on projects, pro- working on projects together. I think a lot of my fondest memories just come from like 
spending time with other people and like, I don't know, building up those bonds and relationships. Um, I guess on a more like individual scale, I also really enjoyed just like just coming to realize like how much I learned over the course of like a semester right. or a year or like all four years of my undergrad. Uh, I feel like every semester, like I think at some point in finals week, I would like take like 10 seconds, just be like, wait, I like learned like so much, right? Yeah, and right. it's crazy, right? Uh, you don't really think about it too much, I feel like, when you're in the thick of it, because you're trying to get right. and like really struggling yeah. with that, because classes are hard. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's like very satisfying to realize like how far you've come since like the beginning of college or the beginning of the year or the beginning of the semester. And that was always like, mm. like very happy for me to like, I don't know, like realize how much I just learned, how much I learned. Yeah. I think that's super, super rewarding too, personally, just seeing like the growth at the end of the year yeah. or like taking some time to reflect. And I think that's important. And I've, I've been having more time since it's like, um, it's like COVID season. So it's yeah. like harder to go out and I've spent a lot more time reflecting. And it's, it's crazy to think about like how different you are, like entering Berkeley. And now like in the later years, no, you're like, wow, yeah. you know, I've totally like learned so much grown hopefully. Yeah. And it's just, crazy i know it's insane right yeah like i i feel like it was like an entirely different person from who i was like four years ago yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's quite amazing yeah. and and it, you when mentioned a lot berkeley, yeah oh, sorry, go no no go ahead sorry yeah sorry. when i first came to berkeley like i had no intention to like uh write any code in my entire life right i was like a math major wow. yeah i like never want to touch code my, my parents told me to like try like cs like, i don't want to <laughs> like do math all day and I actually wanted to be a lawyer at some point too. And that was like a huge thing for me. Because I was like a big debater. Yeah, I was like a big debater in high school. I really wanted to like keep arguing with people like that. So I was like, being a lawyer sounds pretty good for that. Then I tried engineering. It's like, oh, people still argue here a lot, right? So really <laughs> um, that's so funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like it's it's really cool to see like the trajectory from where I started, I guess. Yeah. Right. And, and I think what's even greater is like what you mentioned is like studying with people is like awesome as well. I think when you see like other people like in your close circle also grow together, yeah. that's when it like is, is really, really awesome. And just seeing other people succeed uh, in whatever areas they're they're pursuing is so, really awesome. Yeah, I feel like a lot of my friends are like going in very like vastly different directions, but they're all like very successful. And I'm like, this is really awesome to see. And it's like, yeah. I, I'm really excited to see like where all the people I met in Berkeley, like end up like five, 10 years or whatever down the line. Yeah. And, and I think like what Berkeley does a really good job of, um, and, and, and on the flip side, maybe people think it's a bad job is they definitely push you to your limits academically. Oh, yeah. 100%. And like, yeah. we're notorious for like our one week break before our finals, like called dead week, yeah. where you just grind and study all like all day long and stuff like that do you have any like funny stories from that i guess like you have a great moffat background oh um, yeah yeah i lived with any interesting stories moffitt. i think i once like spent like 37 hours straight in moffat one time it was pretty insane oh my god oh wait yeah. let me see i think the most i spent was like maybe a whole day in main stacks and that just yeah. wrecked me because it's like totally silent this library is like totally silent you can't make That's any noise because people can talk here so like it makes you like just slightly less crazy i think <laughs> yeah yeah that's totally true yeah yeah. But yeah i think i spent like yeah i like i like slept here like one like i here i guess like in wherever i like in moffitt i slept really? there one night like yeah and then all night i woke up i brought like my toothbrush there and everything it was, it was pretty fun you're prepared yeah. yeah 
man and like I have a lot of good memories of just like getting them off at like 9 a.m in the morning to like secure a table and then like, right right because like, you have to get the table right because like that's super hard weak. very competitive always people, like, crowding crowding library right and yeah. then, like my friends would come and like i would go get lunch and like people would other people would stay there and like keep the table down right you would like, rotate and you would keep right. the table and it was like 10 p.m and you'd like been at the table for like 13 hours yeah like i thought like, that was like, a lot of like, man yeah it's kind of crazy i feel like i don't know if it's normal for other schools i haven't really heard of like this this like sort of phenomenon with other schools like where like people are like studying so much (laughs) but it definitely like puts everything like kind of i don't know it's kind of crazy to think about like after college you know you're not going to be studying like that hard like for one week right like it's it's a uniquely like collegiate experience right yeah like for for you i i know you're are you still taking courses right in your master's program right um i guess like now that you've graduated from your like bachelor's education um are there any like things that were really helpful for like transitioning now into like a master's program and like maybe like eventually afterwards like you do your own thing which and with whatever path you choose like are you ready to like transition out of school perhaps or go to phd (laughs) transitioning is always hard so i don't know if i'll be ready yeah. or not uh but i would say like from undergrad to the masters at least was pretty smooth if only because mm-hmm. like i'm still at the same school uh right i think that's like, super helpful because i still know like generally how courses at berkeley are run and things are different at the graduate level obviously but i think a lot of the same like habits are still helpful i still study with like some of the same people who are also like doing their fifth year masters so i think yeah like the transition for me was pretty smooth uh so i don't know i feel like the main thing that changed was maybe just like fewer exams and it's more focused on like projects and research and problem sets and stuff but that was like pretty easy gotcha gotcha and i guess like my last question in general is it seems like you had like a lot of like great experiences like academically and you also had a lot of great experience with like extracurriculars um, do you have any tips for students for like finding like those opportunities early on in school and, you know, pursuing it in such depth? Like how, how would you like advise like a, a freshman version of you to like take advantage of all these amazing resources at Berkeley? Yeah. Yeah. I think the number one thing I would say is to like not be scared, I guess. Uh, so I think as like, a, at least me specifically, I don't know if this is the case for a lot of other people. I think I was like very intimidated by the environment at Berkeley. Uh, so mm. I was like, people are like so smart, right? Yeah. Like people are like, grinding, always grinding really hard. Like I don't know if they can keep up, right? Uh, and because of that, I think I sort of like avoided trying things that I felt like maybe I should have tried sooner. Like in particular, mm. right? Like CS, uh, I probably should have tried CS sooner, but part of me was like, I don't know, a little bit scared to like do something that I had no like prior experience with. Uh, right. I think if I could go back, I would definitely tell myself like, don't be worried, right? Cause like, even if you fail, like, I mean, it's fine, right? I think like I think it's better to have like tried and failed than to have like regrets like four years down the line about not having tried something, right? Right. Um, and I think that extends like many different potential opportunities uh, in undergraduate education, right? Like getting research opportunities, right? Like it's not a big deal if you don't hear back from the professor if you email them about like doing research with them, right? Uh, so that, that's like totally okay. Uh, but then if you do manage to stumble upon a good research opportunity, that could potentially be like. Know, a very formative experience for you as a young undergraduate. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think like the most important thing I would say is to like not be scared and to put yourself out there because uh, you might as well try, I would say, to like get these sorts of opportunities and to experience them. 
Right. And, and I definitely agree with you. Putting yourself out there is really important early on in college and, you know, applying to a bunch of places, even though you might get rejected by a lot of them is really important so that you, you know, get some experience and so on. It, it might feel a little bit bad if you get rejected and stuff, yeah. right? But I mean, like, it, it is what it is. And like, it's totally worth it. If you get that one, like, yes, right? Right. hundred percent. And I guess like for you personally, now that um, you're wrapping up your master's, is there anything that um, you're looking forward to like after you end your master's, like anything exciting that you want to explore now that you've had so much education and experience in, in the research realm of things? Good question. I don't know. Hard to say in the short term because of COVID. So who knows? Yeah. Happen, right? Fair. Yeah. I'm a really big sports fan though. So I'm really excited to like start going back to, start going back to sports games and stuff. Right. I'm a, I'm a really oh. big like 49ers fan. Uh, 49ers, they're really good. Uh, or wait, are they good now? I actually don't know. After. Last year they were amazing. That was like the best year. Yeah, uh, yeah very, very exciting. Back in the future. Yeah, you got Garoppolo. That's all I know about the 49ers. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's see if he's still on the team next year. I don't even know anymore. I hope he. I hope they trade it to the Patriots, my team. That would be really nice. Yeah, a lot of people are. Some people are saying that. Yeah, Belichick oh. gets what he wants after all, right? Well, anyways, thank you so much for, you know, stopping by and, you know, shedding light about like all your research experiences, like all these amazing tips for students. I think um, just in general, like all this advice is so applicable to like all these different fields and all these, all these different students who might be like interested in, you know, these different fields that you majored in. So super, super helpful. Yeah. And yeah. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug at the end of the podcast? Uh, yeah, sure. I don't know. I was like, uh, I think you mentioned it at the very beginning. I was like really actively involved with, uh, with SAS, the, the Student Association for Applied Statistics. It's been, it's gone by a lot of names. It used to be called SUSA uh, back in the yeah. day. Uh, yeah, but I was like very, I still am quite involved actually. Like I'm still a senior advisor with the organization. Wow. Uh, I help people a lot with recruiting actually. Like, I give very similar advice to what I've been talking about today. Uh, so awesome. I think in general, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I, I really enjoy being a part of that community and like contributing back. Uh, and overall, like it's a really good like group of people. And I would say like for anybody who's interested in like stats or applications of math and or computer science, I think it's like a really good organization. Cool. Anything else you like to plug personally? Any any social media or? Uh, I think I'm good. Okay, sweet. Yeah, thank you so much again for you know stopping by. Really appreciate it. And yeah. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year.